Acts chapter 21, verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard this, we and all the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. Now, military personnel are pretty familiar with the term readiness, meaning to always be ready in preparation to respond to a situation on short notice. And mobilizing at a moment's notice is a priority for our military, and it requires everyone has everything they need before that happens. So when the word comes, it's off to wherever. There's no time for training, gathering equipment, or any other preparations. It's time to go, and they need to be ready. And spiritual readiness is similar, and we are living in a time of preparation, so we must always be prepared to respond to the will of the Lord. And that's why we spend time in the scriptures, like the noble people of the city of Berea who searched the scriptures daily to confirm what was being taught about Jesus was true. And we spend time in prayer, praising our King, and seeking to align our will with His. And we dump the things that are contrary to godliness and move far from them, So in that day when we are called into action or called home to heaven, we are ready. And the example here in Acts 21, the Apostle Paul was ready. He was ready to die. He was ready to be in prison. He was ready for whatever. He had prepared for this, and now he is living in constant preparation to meet his king. Jesus taught about the end times and his second coming in Matthew chapter 24. And and although there are different interpretations by many in the church regarding what exactly everything in the chapter means, there's one important element for everyone who follows Jesus to understand, and it's in Matthew 24, verse 44, where Jesus says, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And his coming is going to catch the world off guard. And as far as his followers, our job is always to be in a state of readiness to meet the Lord. And throughout my journey with Jesus, I've seen a handful of people in the family of God die. And many of them were from other churches as my career took me to many death scenes in our city. And there were those who were ready and you knew it. They not only had a good testimony confirmed by their loved ones and their healthcare workers who cared for them, But their homes oftentimes were lit up with things about Jesus. Good scholarly books lined their shelves and pictures on the wall depicting a life of service to Jesus, cards on the fridge from loved ones with scripture all over them and and more. And I recall one elderly lady who had lived alone in a retirement home that was pretty rustic. Basically, it's a cinder block room with a bed and a dresser. And there was not a lot of bling in her room, but it was full of Jesus stuff. And immediately upon entering the room, there was a real sense of peace. And I tried to tune in to this a lot at death scenes, and sadly, most were not like this. But once I began noticing Bibles, commentaries, lexicons, etc., it became obvious that this particular sister had left her failed body and was partying it up with Jesus in her new eternal home. And that's comforting, not only to me, but also to the loved ones and those that knew her. And back in the book of Acts 21, Paul is nearing the end of his ministry, and he knew it. He's kind of on the downhill. 
and he would go to Rome, and he would die as a martyr for Jesus. But before this, Paul knew he had to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit had told him, and he called the elders of Ephesus together to come and visit him, and there he kind of broke the news that, hey, this is it. You're not going to see me again. In Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will see my face again. So Paul, he has his marching orders from the Lord. He's going to Jerusalem, and he's warned, hey, there's going to be imprisonment and affliction. And in the next chapter, that's where the believers, they're like, Paul, don't go. And they know because Agabus told them, among others, that Paul's in danger. But Paul's words to them are and have been a source of strength and encouragement to countless people since he uttered them. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I believe this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, be ready. And these words may seem extreme to us nowadays with our addiction to comfort, but realistically, the Lord could return at any given day, and we can't be guaranteed that we will live another day. Now, when I was a new believer and I heard this, I was kind of uneasy about it because it made me kind of paranoid. Am I going to die today? Oh no, I have so much to live for and so many things I want to do. And what about my family? But as I grew in the Lord, the words, be ready, began to become more serious to me as I met people who unexpectedly died. And not all of them were old. Car crashes, heart attacks, aneurysms, overdoses, gunshot wounds, drownings, and more. They really made me think about my own readiness. These people did not wake up that day intending to die, and they did. And obviously, I'm still here, but it's not because I was careful. Rather, it's because God's not done with me yet. And when he is done, and he says, you're done, then I'm done, and I'm gone, and I've accepted that. And I don't know when that's going to be, but what I do know is I need to be ready. So instead of being paranoid about when my time comes, I found focusing on Jesus and his will, that's a tremendous encouragement for me regarding my departure to my internal home. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And this doesn't mean that we check out mentally from our surroundings and responsibilities. Rather, it means the eternal things need to be in the forefront of my mind and filtering the temporal So if an opportunity comes up for me to do something and I don't know if God's in it, then I'm going to filter that thing or at least wait until I can get a more clear understanding from the Lord. Because if I jump the gun again, and I have a tendency to be a ready-firing type of person, and it's my last day, and I go into the presence of the Lord from a place where He doesn't want me, that's going to bum me out. I don't want to be there. And in my career, I have been to death scenes where people died in very perverted circumstances. And imagine if you were a believer, and now you're in the presence of Jesus, and He asks you, hey, uh, what were you doing when you died? How are you going to respond? One guy's wife died of a heart attack while committing adultery. That's not being ready. Yet how many people on the planet are living their lives totally unprepared to meet the Lord? And I think this causes a lot of anxiety among people and a lot of depression and a lot of bad things. But as believers, we have a few things that can really help us be prepared to meet Jesus. First is obviously salvation that comes by His grace and nothing else. Receiving that salvation through our faith in Him is number one. 
The second thing, I believe, is spending time with Jesus. Now, maybe some expected me to say, you know, things like serving or proclaiming or praying or something like that. But realistically, a new believer can draw a lot closer to Jesus by dedicating time every day to spend in prayer, talking to Jesus and listening to him. By doing this, a lot of discouraging things like hypocrites in the church, battling different churches, getting wrapped up in theological battles over issues that are non-essential, these things seem to not be that big of an issue when you're spending a lot of time with Jesus, just getting Him and His Spirit in you, communicating with Him, experiencing Him. But if we don't spend time with Jesus, praying and listening to Him, how are we ever going to draw closer to Him and recognize His voice? You don't do that through studying. You don't do that through works. You do that through spending time with Him. And another thing I believe is very important is to ask the Lord for the gift of the Holy Spirit, to receive power from God, to be a witness and experience whatever spiritual gifts God has prepared you to exercise when He deems them appropriate. By learning about the gifts and staying consistent with the scriptures, not getting weird with them like many do, rather simply going through each day, asking the Lord for his will to be done this day and to use me in whatever way you can, Lord, to glorify your name. This has a very positive effect on the believer. And a person begins to experience the supernatural power of God in their lives. And man, it's awesome. You now understand that God is there, man. He's working, and the scriptures are right on the money. God will do what he wants to do through whoever he chooses. He is knowable, and he wants to use me as a part of his kingdom to glorify him. That's good news. Another area that I believe is crucial is studying the second half of Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8, the battle between our natural humanity and its ungodly passions versus the Spirit of God who dwells within the believer. And I would guess that the vast majority of professing Christians do not understand this battle or the spiritual warfare that goes along with it. And summarizing it as I understand it, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, meaning that we now have access to the Holy Spirit by faith. The Holy Spirit wants to take the steering wheel of our lives and drive us down that narrow and difficult road that leads to eternal life. And our natural humanity, or the flesh as it's also referred to, doesn't want to yield to the things of the Spirit. That's our natural passions, our natural cravings, all that stuff. And the guy's like, no, don't need that. And you're like, yes, I do. I want that. So there's this battle. So depending on how much we yearn to follow the Lord and not our own passions, that's going to determine whether or not we yield to the Holy Spirit or we push Him away and do our own thing. And there is no half relationship with God. It's all or nothing. And that is where many believers can fall into deception, thinking that they can simply call on the Lord when it's convenient or when they're desperate and God pops in really excited, hey man, let's hang out, let me bless you. Romans 8, 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So if we want to please God, we got to be operating in the Spirit and not in our own strength and understanding. If we want to please Him, we need to surrender to Him. Then things start happening. Anything shy of this, it just leaves us unprepared and not ready. And Titus 3.1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities as to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So you want to be ready to meet the Lord at any minute? These verses give us an idea how we should be behaving in preparation for our departure into heaven. Thank you.